focus a little bit more on the frontier tech side, which is where uh, a lot of our syndicate activity uh, really zeroes in. So we're going to be talking about everything from, you know, investing in syndicates, like we're going to be doing shortly, to space tech, robotics, AI, sports, um, and a variety of other different really, and creator tools and some other really great topics and panels. We have a, a fantastic group of speakers today. And uh, let's just get the ball rolling right away. I don't want to lose any time from this amazing panel. Um, let me first start by, uh, let's give go around the room really quickly and uh, give everybody a chance to introduce themselves. Uh, Dan, you want to get started? Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a venture partner for Asymmetry Ventures and their affiliated syndicate on AngelList. Asymmetry is a seed stage fund. Um, I also have my own syndicate, which is under the name Gold Dragon Ventures on AngelList. And Asymmetry focuses on deep tech. That's why Drew has me here. Um, mm -hmm. We look for really big markets that have a lot of defensibility as far as the solution that the team is pursuing for those markets. And so that does tend towards um, highly protectable IP, like patentable stuff, so biotech robotics space, some of the sectors that Drew mentioned. Uh, and we also do some pure software too, if it's way down the stack. So deep infrastructure and FinTech logistics and supply chain, uh, some kinds of SaaS marketplaces and things like that. Cool, Max. Awesome, well, first off, thanks for having me. Always enjoy working with the, uh, the RBV team. I know we've uh, been working together for quite some time now. But uh, just brief history on myself. So uh, started a e-commerce kind of health tech company ran that for about seven years, started angel investing once that was not in the super, super startup phase and uh, ended up uh, co-investing alongside the Gangels team, kind of hit it off with the team. Uh, and they brought me on board to focus on really kind of early, early stage investment. So sector agnostic, but really everything from pre-seed up to around series A. And that's where I currently am as a, as a general partner. Um, sector agnostic, I'm down here in Miami, so slight focus on the Florida ecosystem and the tremendous influx of kind of fintech and crypto companies down here. But I'm really happy to just look at anything with uh, with a passionate founder and, and an interesting team. Thank you. Awesome, Max. Uh, and Lana. Yeah, um, Drew, I thought you were going to do a meditation this morning, but I guess we're doing a panel now. But <laughs> right in. Yesterday, we kicked it off with a, a nice meditation hosted by uh, the founder of Trip, uh, the VR meditation uh, platform, which is really cool. Yeah, but hey, guys, I'm Alana. I've been working with Drew now for over two years. Um, yeah, to give you some background about Redbeard, too. So we started as an Angelist syndicate. First investment was super rare. Since then, that was actually one of our first liquidations out of the syndicate as well. Uh, we've grown the syndicate now to 200 different investments. We've invested alongside these guys, both Max and Daniel, and also a ton of other co-syndicate partners as well. We started raising a fund. Um, now it's been, what, a year and a half? Yeah, two almost years? two years ago. Yeah, two years ago, um, and that's specific to Web3 Crypto. So it's great that we have the syndicate because we could do kind of any stage, any sector at the syndicate. We've done so many investments, and I'm excited to talk to these guys about some of the frontier tech investments that we've made. Yep, and uh, everyone just quickly, as you know, I'm Drew Austin, founding partner of uh, RBV, and uh, yeah, we've been three years into three years into the Angelus Syndicate, two years into our fund. Um, and I think this year, you know, we mentioned yesterday that we're going to be considering launching a, um, a rolling fund 
and to really support our frontier tech syndicate investment. So we're excited to explore that. Um, and because, uh, you know, again, I think with all syndicate deals, there's a lot of volatility in syndicates, um, which I think we'll probably get into in a bit. But, you know, being able to offer more predictability and consistency into our investment amounts and the deals we complete, et cetera, I think is good for everybody. Um, so that's something we're considering this year. But let, yeah, let, let's jump right in. Um, let's first start. So I guess first, um, you know, Max, Tell me a little bit about like your the syndicate for Gangels um, and like how like you guys have a pretty big ecosystem of investment vehicles and platforms. Can you kind of give us the map and the playbook? Like what 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 is what do you guys have going on? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'll try to give you the short version. Otherwise, we'll be here for a couple hours. <laughs> but um, so so Gangels was started back uh, a, a little about a decade ago, actually. And it was started purely as just an LGBTQ investment organization. It was started by two gentlemen who were who were gay gay exited founders who were looking for kind of like minded individuals, and they didn't find it, so they made it. And that's how it started. And then through a whole bunch of different mechanisms, we received so much inbound interest that it grew out from that core idea, and it's kind of grown into this almost this network of syndicates, network of funds, network of different investing approaches, and. I think it's the, the the impetus for that branching out is as any anyone who's been in a syndicate can understand people have various investment preferences maybe some people like pre-seed some people like series D some people like space tech some people like the boring SaaS stuff and it's partly branched out into that because we're trying to cater to our investors and say hey if you like seed deals here's maybe an early stage fund for you if you like pre-IPO stuff, here's where we do pre-IPO things. So the journey's really been very kind of organic to try to cater to our founders and cater to our investors and provide them with the, the channels and the mechanisms that's easiest for them to interact with. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And how big is the team now to manage? Because you guys have a pretty big, you, with all these different investment vehicles, it's going to take, take a solid group to be able to manage it all. Yeah, we're, we're about 35 people right now. Yeah, wow, that's a that's a powerhouse. Um, all right, and, and Daniel, let me talk. Tell me about your syndicate experience a little bit, because you know that's the, that's a lot of our a lot of the people we've invited today are people that are come from our syndicate ecosystem, etc. Um, you know, you've been you've been with uh, Asymmetry for how long now? Uh, about two and a half years. So okay, summer of twenty one. And so, can you talk about the like? the growth of a syndicate? Like what are the activities or efforts that you guys do to build audience for these deals? Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we have, you know, we all, there, there's always a lot of deal flow that we're all seeing and a lot of, and especially nowadays with like lower barriers to entry for founders to, you know, to create amazing tech companies, we're seeing a lot of great deals, but we need the investors to obviously be able to fund them or we're, or we're kind of spinning our wheels. So how do you guys think about growth on the syndicate side? Yeah, no, absolutely, Drew. It's um, it is sort of like a marketplace when you're a syndicate, and that you have to balance the growth of your deal flow and the growth of your LPs, right? Because you're matching the investors, the LPs to the deals you have. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I've employed a variety of different techniques. Uh, you know, first off, um, co-syndicating with other syndicates, of course, like you guys and Flight. Um, uh, second. Uh, a lot of activity online and social, like on LinkedIn, you know, posting uh, about portfolio companies, about what's happening in the industry. Um, I have also have a blog on Substack uh, that that also brings in some LPs, actually, where I post about 
both you know angelist and syndicates, but also just about the startup sector. Um, there's also uh, in-person events are important. Um, you know, there are some easy ways they're tapping alumni networks. Like, so just to give some background on the on the fund, um, it's a sole GP fund. Rob Ness started it. Yeah. Um, and and he's had his syndicate for about eight years. Um, mm -hmm. So I first met Rob because I was an angel investor first, having had a few exits as a founder, um, and I was in his syndicate as an LP. And then I eventually started my own syndicate in 2020. And in trying to build up LPs and, and you know figure out that equation, I was teaming up with a lot of other syndicates. And Rob and I kept teaming up. We kept liking the same deal. So that's how he eventually invited me to join because we sort of, you know, we we think about startups the same way as far as how yep. we analyze the opportunity. Um, but anyway, so Rob is is uh, as a Berkeley alum. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a Stanford alum, and like he's really plugged into Berkeley Skydeck um, Accelerator and has done a bunch of events up at Berkeley uh, about the fund. Um, you know, I've I've definitely met a lot of startups through Stardex, which is Stanford's one of Stanford's sort of accelerator incubators, um, uh, and just you know made an effort to to sort of. Uh, you know, look for LPs that have that affinity based on our backgrounds. Yeah. I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the ways. It's funny. Rob was probably the first mentor of mine in the syndicate game. If when I started going to syndicates, he was one of the earliest yeah, people to kind of take me under the wing and give yeah. me some advice. I think he's been a real leader in the syndicate space in general, just for like kind of educating and helping people to understand, you know, yeah. the mechanics of how to, of how to manage and grow uh, a syndicate yeah. in the, execution and he's and he's really really good at it yeah he also uh i agree with that he also like he invited me to a number of in-person events when i was still an lp which i thought was unusual mm -hmm. i mean that's strong community building and by i mean like pitch events you know like plug and play or somebody in the bay area who's having an event um and that's a you know that's a great way to meet meet out other lps as well yeah totally uh lon what do you in terms of like technologies or trends, you know, obviously we focus on the blockchain space as a fun level, but let's, you know, let, let's go be, let's like think a little bit more broadly for this conversation. You know, what are some of the areas that you're excited about investing in, you know, that you think will play out over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think one of the things we're looking at is kind of the intersection between AI and robotics. Uh, we've invested in a couple of those companies, and I think that's going to have a real effect. We're also looking at AI as a whole and what are the different sectors that's going to affect it and the different companies that aren't just built on top of ChatGBT, but really building something that it's going to need in order for AI to be successful. So for instance, like one right now they know we're looking at uh, through the syndicate landscape is actually a company that uses AI to make sure that companies, companies are using AI. It actually looks at what the content that they put out and make sure it's in line with the brand's guidelines. And so that's one that the companies are using AI, but then it's actually going through and because they're putting out so much content without actually being able to go through and check the content, it's able to do that for you. And so that's a company that's not necessarily just another chat GBT, but actually really building something that needs for these companies to succeed. I think we're also looking at a lot of health tech. That's obviously been a big thing in kind of the world today. It's another way to use technology. For instance, we have one that used plant-based cells to do chocolate. And that's when it's really exciting. They're going to be doing coffee as well. 
And so I think, as I mentioned, like the best part about the syndicate is it's a deal by deal basis. So if you're interested in any type of sector or stage, you could look at the syndicate and see the different deal flow that's out there. But I mean, I do think obviously AI is a really hot topic right now. And I think that it's going to take a lot of the manual workflows and jobs today. And so we're looking at ways that's going to affect that. Max, when you think about um, the syndicate and you think about, do you look at it as a portfolio? Do you like think about it almost as a fund or are you looking at it specifically as deal by deal? Like when you're, you know, assessing deals, like tell me a little bit about the, the perspective of looking at a deal at a fund for a fund per se or a syndicate. Is that different in any capacity? You know, tell me about what you think there. Yeah, it's completely different, right? Because the fund has a much more narrow thesis, right? When we when we have committed capital, LPs, uh, you know, join the fund with the expectation that that capital is going to be deployed in accordance to a, a, however the however the fund's criteria was set. You, I suppose you could have a fund that just says we deploy it however we want to in any stage in any deal, and it could be very it could be very wide. But our funds are fairly focus fairly narrow. So when we have a fund, it's, hey, this is what we're investing in. If this is what you're interested in, this might be a good fund for you. And then when we're, when we're evaluating deals, they have to kind of fall within that very, very narrow thesis. Oftentimes we'll, we'll find a company, you know, great team, great founder, but there's something that's a little bit outside the, the fund's thesis that, that makes it ineligible for the fund. It doesn't mean it's not a good deal. It's a great deal. It's just, it doesn't, doesn't fit the criteria. Um, mm -hmm. The syndicate, I, I view very much on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, maybe this is a pre-seed deal, moonshot, but the founder is like the founding, you know, engineer at, 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 at a huge company. Doesn't really fit the, the thesis for any fund, but it's awesome, interesting. I think it's a, a reasonable investment opportunity to bring to people and be candid with them about, hey, it's a pre-seed deal, it's super early, the risks are high, but if you want to take that bet on a moonshot, that's your decision to do. So, when I look at syndicate deals, there's always a minimum. There's always a minimum standard, right? We always want to bring something that's good to our investors. But when I look at a syndicate, I say, "Hey, this is why, this is why we like it. Mm -hmm. You need to decide if you like it as well." Whereas a fund is, "Hey, here's the thesis, here's the criteria, and that's mm -hmm. what we." Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, we, I, I look at it also as very different return profiles as well. Like, you know, if you think about it, like a fund, when we look at fund deals, we're looking at deals that could potentially return the fund every time um, with that kind of potential. With a syndicate, you know, if we can get a three to five X on a given deal, some people are thrilled with that type of investment uh, profile for given deals. So we can really, we can really open up our strategies to different types of investment opportunities. Can you, but like, you know, for the, my, my follow-up question there for you would be, when you think about, you know, on this, when we let's, let's go down to the syndicate again, you know, when dealing with founders in the unpredictability around saying, Hey, like, we're going to open this up to our LP, LPs, but we don't know exactly, you know, what's going to be raised for this given deal. You know, how, how do you, are, are you coming up with any unique ways to manage that both, you know, both at the founder level, the investor level and internally, like, how do you, how do you balance that stuff? One of my mentors in the past told me that in relationships, it's all about managing expectations, right? And, and I truly believe that honesty is the best policy. So I'll, I'll have a founder who I love, love the company, think it's a great investment opportunity, but I don't have a crystal ball. If, if I did, I'd, I'd, if I did, I'd be a lot wealthier than I am, but I don't have a crystal ball and I'm not sure how the syndicate will perform. And I generally try to convey that to them. I say, listen, I like your company. I'd like to bring it to our investors, but the reality is we're in a bit of a tumultuous market right now. 
and I can't guarantee you know what the amount raised will be. I tell them we'll aim for a certain amount. I think you know, given my experience, that we can get within this range. But I just try to manage expectations with them, be honest, be transparent, and be upfront. And then you know, in the unfortunate, but you know, ultimately it, it does happen scenario where you're not able to hit the threshold. I go back to the founder. I tell them it's disappointing for us as well as it's disappointing for them. But we tried, and it's not a reflection on you or the company. It's just you know, it wasn't it wasn't in the cards this time. Yeah, are, are you guys using? And, and Daniel, I was going to also ask this question to you as well. Are you using any of the other vehicles or funds, like we were talking about earlier, potentially having a rolling fund, so that we can kind of have some more, a little bit more predictability and consistency in funding syndicate opportunities that we're really excited about. Um, you know, again, because there is, you know, we have a, a quality bar regardless. We always are going to be, we don't want to send anyone a deal that we wouldn't want to invest in ourselves. So, you know, when we think about that, um, are you using any of the vehicles within your ecosystem to kind of almost backstop and provide some level of predictability? Max, I can take that. All right, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a few things. One is um, uh, we do sometimes anchor a, an SPV with the check from the fund going through the SPV rather than separately on the cap table. It's it's very infrequent, but at times for this exact reason, we've done that. Mm -hmm. um, in the current environment uh, where things are more unpredictable, uh, there's a few things we can do. One is a lot of rounds for us are follow-on rounds now. A lot of the SPV opportunities that are coming to us and so one thing we can absolutely do is first go back to the prior investors and say, are you going to invest in this <laughs> follow on round? Yes or no. And get an idea there of how, how much money that will, will bring in before we open it up to the broader set of LPs. The other thing we do is sometimes founders themselves have some angels that have checks that are too small for them to take on the cap table. Yep. So we can kind of pre, you know, jumpstart the syndicate with those checks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Max, any other thoughts on that one? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say backstop because it's not backstopping, but what we, what we have found, and this is a term I think is, you know, I'm not sure if you've heard this exact term before, but you'll know what I mean is investor fatigue. You know, sometimes we have investors who are just like, Hey, I'm tired of looking at deals. You know, what I want is I want kind of almost like a portfolio Absolutely. of series A companies that are in the climate space or in the in the in the fintech space and they say listen if you have a fund that matches my criteria I'll invest in that fund and then maybe you can present the follow on opportunities to me but I don't want to be looking at a deal every other day so we have had conversations like that where it's again it's not backstopping anything I, I think it's kind of replacing maybe some of the earliest stage I think that's the right I think it's the right way to right way to frame it Alana when we talk about like some of you know the 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 ability to get you know investors over the line and excited and invest in these deals like tell me a little bit about how you take like what are some of your thoughts on how you take maybe a deep tech deal especially in our space where there's these are very frontier technology deep tech opportunities and 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 kind of communicate um, what they're doing and the intricacies of their business um, to an audience that may not be as um, you know kind of aware and informed. So how do you like bridge that layer of communication so that so that investors don't miss opportunities just due to you know not fully understanding the opportunity? Yeah. So I think one of the things we'll do if it's really technical. <laughs> 
call is we'll try to hold a webinar. This is just so that people could actually speak to the founders, ask questions, and really dive in, because I always think that's kind of the best way to get the information. But I mean, before I even started at Redbeard, I was angel investing myself. And so I kind of throughout writing the deal memo, I'll ask myself, like, hey, why am I excited about this deal? And I'll continue to ask myself, because if I could answer that question and I could actually go ahead and explain it to the LPs of the syndicate, then I feel like they'll better understand it. But I mean, at Redbeard, we'll have multiple calls. Like I wish I could say we only had one call and we're ready to go, but we're constantly on the phone with the founders. We're emailing them where you at least have two to three calls with every single one of the founders, um, depending if it's a fund or syndicate, we're speaking to customers, speaking to other investors. And then also um, we use an Airtable to send out to the uh, founders where they could actually go ahead and fill out information about their company. They obviously send us their deck and any other kind of collateral that they have. So combining all that information and then being able to take it and write a deal memo that explains it to the LPs, I think is one of the most important things, but they take a while. I mean, doing the deal memos, and I think Max and Daniel could say the same, that you're really diving in, you're trying to understand the competitive landscape, trying to understand the market and really the product that they're building and how it's differentiating. So I'd say like, by the end of the day, they take a while, but I think we do a good job at really taking that information and explaining it out to the LPs. I got to give a kudos to Rob also on his, I think Rob writes some of the best deal memos that I've come across. I think he's really figured out a way to craft like enthusiasm, excitement and anticipation with, uh, with actual material information. Uh, Daniel, did you, have you uh, taken anything away from his uh, style? Um, yeah. Uh, he's good at figuring out what points to emphasize, whether it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a formatting thing, right? But it could be setting yeah. it apart as a one sentence paragraph or using bold or italics. But he he um, he knows how to how to highlight sort Agreed. of the the key arguments. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think he's good at that. Yeah, we've spoken about that too. I actually have a question because I know we've talked about the market a lot and it's been changing. And obviously we talk about how we're setting expectations, et cetera, with the founders. But what's the biggest change that you guys have found? And is there any type of deal flow that now you look for that maybe you didn't previously or that you're focused on because the market has changed so much? I, I could take that actually. I think li like liquidity and runway have become very important to LPs in a way that it wasn't in 21. So another thing that Rob is very good at doing and that I also try to do a lot is without overselling it, right? Identify it as the bull case, but present like what's the best possible outcome alongside presenting the risks. So you don't want to ignore the risks, right? All these mm -hmm. are early stage companies. But I, I find that founders who've been beaten up by <laughs> lead investor VCs sometimes, they fail to do this in their decks sometimes where they'll, they'll sort of articulate a base case, you know, uh, but, but it's sort of like, okay, they can be a unicorn in seven to 10 years. But you also want to tell people, even if it's like a 0.5% chance or less, right? If there is a path on an upside case, things go well, they could be worth 10 billion, right? Like the Decacorn case, you do want to paint that picture. Rob is very good at doing that. Yeah. He's very good at saying, let's not look at what's right in front of us, the series A only, let's look at what this could become on exit, right? Yeah. In the current environment, I think LPs really want to have a clear idea of what the exit is, how they get their money back. And then sort of couple with that is, can the company make it there without running out of money? So 
I've been spending a lot more time talking about runway and, and sort of optionality of the company to make it to either break even or exit than I used to. It's funny. I, I actually think that, and I, I'm not sure how much of, of this you guys actually engage in, but for us, like, I think because of the faster path to liquidity on a lot of the token type investments we do, we've seen a lot more capital go into investments where we're yeah. leaning into the token being a part of the investment opportunity. That's not a surprise, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you that's been something that has been the fast, you know, listen, don't get me wrong. For 12 months, it was dead. Like, you know, 2023 was a very, you know, the end of 2022 to 2023. But from Q3, from the end of, from about Q4, the beginning of Q4 of 2023 to, you know, first quarter, last, right, for the last four or five months, you know, every now that the market's turned, which the fact that it was able to bounce back was a massive confidence driving factor because, you know, everyone who's been through these cycles, I've been through four of them. I've been in crypto since 2013. You know, I've seen the collapse, the comeback, the collapse, the comeback. But as more kind of traditional investors get exposure and they experience the collapse the first time, they think it's dead, it's never coming back. But when it does come back, they start to experience the resilience. And that drives a level of confidence and now the, the path, faster path to liquidity that they're starting to look for, which they don't really, I mean, listen, I'm three years in, I think we've had two exits. Like, you know what I mean? Like we are still, and we've done 200 deals plus now. So like, we are still in the very early days of, of figuring out like outcomes and performance. And I think yeah. that, you know, that's another part of the fatigue issue is that you're kind of waiting for a long time. You know, you know how do you guys in, uh, in deal with that and navigate that? Max, feel free to jump in if you want. Sure, I'll, I'll take I'll take this one. Um, I think I, I think going to what uh, both Daniel and, and and Drew said is I think the the goalposts have shifted from you know the past few years. I think whereas previously people were saying, okay, I'm fine putting my money in this and in this pre seed or the seed company, and maybe in eight years this will be the next Uber. I think now, like you said, they're looking for uh, liquidity that maybe isn't you know a year down the line, but maybe. You can see it on the horizon with your binoculars. You know, you don't right. need you don't need a you don't need to look look at it from the side of land, right? Um, yeah, it's inside of land. Um, <laughs> and I think I think the other thing, and this goes to the some of the changing criteria, is I think a lot of uh, investors are looking at companies with more significant revenue and more significant revenue growth. So as opposed to just saying, "Hey, this is an amazing founder," or this idea could be the next Uber. Saying, uh, you know what? I've seen I've seen a couple of those. Show me, show me the money, you know, show me the money and show me the growth. So I think uh, having, showing them deals that are closer to liquidity as opposed to these kind of moonshots is a way to counterbalance some of the investments already in their portfolio. Yeah, I, I see that as well. Daniel, how would you, how do you guys go about diligence? What's your process there? Process. Uh, well, like Alana said, there's a fair amount of phone calls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I like to dig deep. Every every founder has a different level of data available, depending, and often it's related to the stage, right? The earlier it is, the less data on average they're going to have. Um, but we're we're going to ask a lot of uh, follow up questions after getting the deck, whatever other data they give us, both in writing and on calls. Um, we are going to try, if it's possible. Uh, to talk to talk to other investors or um you know i've even occasionally uh you know talked to to big customers it depends on the the company and whether they're you know if it's a company that has one or two giant customers that make or break 
their milestones from this mm -hmm. round, then sometimes you want to get that that direct perspective from the customer um, if they're if they're willing to talk to potential investors. Uh, we also, for technical side, look for third-party validation. We do a lot in robotics, biotech, chips, things that Rob and I don't have PhDs in, but the founding mm -hmm. team often has, you know, a bunch of advanced degrees in. And so mm -hmm. we will look for, you know, has the has the company used a third-party service or peer-reviewed article, or is there something where other smart people with with a lot of smarts in that in that very very you know deep um, uh, uh, area of knowledge that the company's operating in mm -hmm. have, have sort of validated what the founders are telling us. Um, yes. Sometimes, you know, it could be like external tests that everybody can see. Like if it's aerospace, you know, <laughs> could be like, did the rocket take off and not blow up or not? Right. Like, right. Like SpaceX. Yeah. But um, sometimes it's, it's much more subtle than that. Um, so yeah, d diligence on on tech is is time consuming, as Alana said. Yeah, no, makes sense. I'm gonna last one more question to Max. Max, can you talk about your deal sourcing? Like you guys see a lot of deal flow. Can you talk about how you know what are some of the best methods, and then where you and how you filter and manage all of this? Uh, it's a it's a lot of work, right? Um, it's it's a ton of work managing and tracking all these deals, especially when you talk to someone and they're they haven't set the terms of the round, right? They haven't even decided on the security, but they know they want to raise money, but um. I'd say we deal source primarily through three channels. I'd say the first channel would be uh, our, our network. We have a big network of founders, uh, LPs. Next would probably be our, our co-investors, our co-syndicate partners, just like everyone in this chat. And then I'd say, uh, see, the first one I said was our, uh, our, our I'd say our, our last one would be um, probably just team members, personal relationships, you know? So I'd say ma mainly co-investors and uh, founders that we've invested in. Okay, great. Um, guys, I, we're, we're over time, but thank you so much. This was such a fun uh, panel. I would have loved to kept going with you guys. Um, but uh, I really appreciate you guys joining us today. I look forward to doing many more deals with you guys in the future. Um, and let's keep kind of figuring out how to, uh, you know, bring the best deals to this LP base that, we, that we're all kind of building together. Thanks thank for having us. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you for having us. This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.